everyone, this is Olga Mack, uh, Building the Future of Conscious from Home, and today I am with Lori. Lori, please introduce yourself. Hi, nice to meet you. I am started the legal operations function at Cognizant. Um, we you know, had a couple of loose things going here and there before I started, and I kind of pulled everything together and, and approached it from how can we deliver services better to the organization? How can we be more efficient? How can we... Uh, lower the lift that people need to have to, in order to interact with us and get the services that they need. Um, and we, you know, also just uh, a lot of work collecting data so that we could know what was happening, who, who was actually part of the department and what teams they sat on, uh, having more accurate financials. So it's been an exciting journey. <laughs> really cool. So tell me more about yourself and how you came to this role, what you did before. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about Cognizant. So I started my career as an intellectual property attorney and uh, you know, I was in big law for about seven years and I went in-house and I've been at Cognizant since. Um, and I started at Cognizant as a commercial transactions attorney. Um, you know, at first it was, you know, it was just kind of marking up agreements in a vacuum, not really understanding the business. And then as I got more enmeshed in the company and really started learning the business, it, it just you know, I think it elevated the services that could be provided to the business team, but also just, you know, enriched my own experience, which I really love that. You know, I was, I was, uh, the, my last role in commercial transactions before I moved to legal operations was chief counsel for our insurance vertical, where I partnered with the business team, not just on contract issues, but on product development, on uh, employment issues, immigration issues, uh, and just really worked on like, how do we how do we as a company operate more efficiently around the areas that I touched? So, uh, well, the best of us, the good news, the best of us started intellectual property lawyers. Uh, you <laughs> and I have this in common. Um, I do feel like uh, because it's one of those areas that is so closely related to technology uh, and processes that uh, these are more versatile lawyers who are open-minded about technology tend to have at least some either security, privacy, or intellectual property background. So high five to that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, um, I really love uh, you mentioning about kind of uh, understanding business better so you can have a greater impact. I uh, would love to kind of understand how you, um, you know, what, what did it mean in your case and kind of how did you go about uh, learning more about um, the business of your business? So some of it you just get, from osmosis, you know, you negotiate enough deals with enough people and talk about what it is and you start, you know, seeing the conversations with, as you go through negotiations, you just, you learn a lot. Um, but then I, I spend a lot of time just talking offline. You know, I started creating some, some periodic meetings with my business leaders to find out what they were worried about, what was driving them, what their goals were for the next quarter. Uh, and I learned, you know, I was able to learn a lot through that. And then um, Cognizant started a project a uh, couple of years ago called Amplify, which was about uh, adding more consistency in, in our offerings. And I ended up becoming the attorney that was helping through that process. And so it was really a, a deep dive into how do we create great solutions for our clients and how do we make sure that when we deliver those solutions that we're successful in delivering them? And so that really was able to 
elevate my understanding. And then the last thing I did is um, the company launched an intranet a couple of years ago. And I was tasked with, well, I, actually, I chose to <laughs> do the, the, um, all the pages for the legal team, which was a blast. It was, it was just such a, you know, a different track of, of interest than, than being a lawyer. And I just love doing like the graphic design of the pages. Um, but sorry, I digress. Um, so in doing the internet, you know, it was, it was really building this library of resources for people that are at Cognizant to understand every aspect of the company, you know, so what the legal team does, what other corporate functions do, but also, you know, what, what are we selling to our customers? And, and so I've spent a lot of time on these internet pages, just learning more about the business. And it's been, it's, it's a tremendous resource. Yeah. I find it uh, really interesting how much one will learn by doing and two, how much the side projects become the job itself. Yes. And become highly transformative, whether you do it at your current job or whether you do it, you know, as a volunteering extracurricular activity at night on weekends. Um, they, uh, you know, often start out as small and exciting and then they kind of take over your life and become a bit more exciting and then completely transform your career. Um, that certainly happened to me. So I just I, I just love that story. IP lawyer, then on the transactional side in-house, learning a lot about business, and then you fell into the sort of legal operations services. So tell me how that happened to you. So I was doing all this work. So, so I, um, I wanted a promotion, and I went to my boss, and I said, what do I need to do to get a promotion? And she said, well, you have to do you know, great work at what you're doing, and then you have to be seen as contributing significantly to our team and be seen as contributing significantly to the company as a whole. So I joined our Women Empowered group and I put on you know, tons of different events for women in New York City. And I uh, started thinking about like, for our group, like how can I help us be better as a group? And so I uh, created uh, a lot of knowledge management resources. I centralized a lot of our forms. I uh, created some email lists for more efficient communications. I started building the internet pages and I created kind of an intake process for our new deals. And, and then I, there were a handful of other projects that I was doing. And I was like, you know what? I'm spending all of my nights and weekends doing all these side projects. And you know what? I'm really excited. When I do these projects, I lose track of time. And I don't care that I'm you know, working until four in the morning or just gave up my entire Saturday because I needed to get this, you know, you know, this process flow correct or because I, you know, needed to, you know, line up the text the right way. I also, you know, I wanted the opportunity to understand not just my function, but how the whole department works. And so I felt that if I, you know, decided to reach for a legal operations role, I'd really see the underside of a legal department and it would free my time up to really create meaningful uh, experiences for the business people that I supported. So that their experience working with legal would be elevated. So I, I went to, uh, at that time, the, the deputy GC who was kind of dealing with the operations of legal function. I said, hey, you know, I want to do legal operations. Can we start this? Can we create legal operations at Cognizant? Can I work on these things? I love it when the fun takes over your life and then, and then you create your job. Um, the best job, I, 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 the last couple of jobs I've I created my jobs, and um, those are the best jobs you know, um, I've had because instead of being um, a, a square 
pig trying to fit it into maybe a round hole and maybe I'm an octagonal pig or maybe I'm moving around in the process. Um, you, kind of, you kind of really build on the strengths you have and the interests you have and write the job description around what interests you and adds value to the organization. It's just so much more a satisfying place to be. And yeah. uh, exciting when other people, especially leaders, kind of recognize it, see you for who you are, and then they say, we need that web design job around it. Yeah, I will say it wasn't all, you know, doing legal operations came with the things that I really wanted to do, but it also came with a host of things that were completely unfamiliar and <laughs> things that I ever thought I would want to do. I, you know, so I started doing that. I was still doing the chief counsel job because we didn't have the right person to take over right away. And I like had still have nightmares about my first month, which happened to coincide with the budgeting process for the next year and sitting there with these huge spreadsheets of numbers and just crying going, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> yeah. I find that the, um, the financial knowledge is something that I, I think should be taught in, in law school. Um, I usually say that, um, uh, you go to law school and they teach you great and then you become really fluent in it and then you release into the wild and it's an English speaking world out there. You speak legally, they speak, you know, most businesses speak financials and then you present, you know, as you progress through your career, you present it with all this financial and you're like, oh. <laughs> like, how come I am such a novice to this and everybody else seems to like really be fluent in this. Um, at least when I went to law school, law schools really train the litigator and they don't do a very good job of training the business attorney. Um, and, you know, in terms of like the skill sets that new law, law students would get today, I, I've been very happy to see a lot of law firms pushing law schools to train their attorneys, not just on, you know, case law analysis, but also on technology, which to me like that there is such a gap between where we need to be on technology versus where we are, both in terms of you know, what's being used, but also people's comfort with interacting with it. Yeah, yeah, technology process, um, financial acumen, uh, you know, emotional, all kinds of skills. Um, I think law schools are doing better. Uh, I, I do think that that change will take some time. Um, and I think over time we'll co completely revamp our law school curriculum, um, especially because law schools are three years long. You have plenty of time to teach law plus everything yep. else. So um, business schools are two years and they have plenty of time. So um, so I think, I think there is definitely hope, but you just have to have the will. Um, you talked a little bit about sort of data and knowledge management and kind of building processes and gradually transitioning to the legal operations role that you sort of planted a seed and nurtured and kind of created for yourself, um, which I love that proactive approach. Would love to just kind of understand your vision for the law department of the future. Um, if you were to close your eyes and imagine a perfect law department, what would it be? What would it have? How would it be different? You know, it's so funny that you use the word perfect because I was spending a lot of time thinking about this recently and I came up with an acronym um, for the ideal law department. <laughs> so the ideal law department in my mind is integrated, data-driven, efficient, agile, and leading. 
I love it. I love it. I do. I I I I I really love it. Did you share it with the folks in in your department? Um, Not yet. Yes. I I just came up with it like two nights ago. I was like, oh, this is perfect. It's an acronym. <laughs> that is perfect. That is that is, uh, and that is something worth rallying your whole department around. Um, you know, it's you know, what kind of department do you want to be? Ideal. I exactly. <laughs> That's, that's, that's like a perfect place to be. Um, that's really interesting. You mentioned data a couple of times, um, and it has sort of a, become a buzzword uh, to such a some extent. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. Practically speaking, where do you see data be useful in house, and 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 where have you used it or um, inter implemented it, and where do you think you want more of it? Yeah, I, you know, I agree it's used as a buzzword, but I think it's a lot more than buzzword. Um, I don't think that there is any area of legal practice in-house that couldn't be improved through using data to inform the decisions you're making. So if we take a minute and look at contracting, which is obviously an area that I know very, very well, you know, I really think that and and we're not i don't know any company that's really fully there in terms of what you could be doing with the data but i think if if you wanted to have the best operations that you could have around the contracting function you would want a data loop where you have information about the deal initially coming into the legal team and marking things up based on whatever playbook you have in place and then as the contract is operationalized and as delivery has its you know, bumps along the way, each of those bumps is a data point that then can come back to the legal team and inform them in terms of how they mark up deals in the future or, or what terms we want to agree to, not just legal terms, but business terms that we want to agree to in the contract so that you, um, you know, decrease the overall risk, you increase the potentials of revenue, and you don't spend time necessarily on things that don't actually end up mattering when you when you go to the operationalizing the contract so that's that's like on the how do you improve the operations of the whole company and then in terms of you know additional data points for that if you know the volume of contracts that are coming in if you know how much time it takes to review a contract if you know where the bottlenecks are or where uh where you have a mismatch of resources you can better optimize the, how, how, you know, how that process is laid out, what parts get automated, whether you have the right resources, having the right resources, stratifying your resources, but you need that underlying data of, of what you're doing and, and where, the, where you have you know, successes and failures in the actual process of the contracting. I'm so glad you talked about contracting. I know, it's your sweet spot too. <laughs> it's like my favorite subject, right? That's Parley Pro, we're very much Thinking we are, we are very data driven um, at um, with, with country lifecycle management platform, and so we think about data at every stage of the way, from creation to negotiation to management of contracts. I like the way the feedback loop that you are imagining and describing is definitely helpful uh, because contracts are full of legal information, but they also have a lot of business information and. And most most business professionals are blissful and aware what's in it, and and underutilize the information that is in their contract, and therefore they are not nearly as advantaged as they could have been uh, if they had actually had access and an ability to process that information at scale. 
And, and data allows you to do that, right? It allows you to kind of learn every step of the way. And I, what I like that you recognize that there is a lot of learning um, on the contract side in creation and then negotiation and management and all of that data could make you enrich your understanding and, and, and make and help you make a much, much, much better decisions and just really make predictions about future and, and operate your business. Um, contracts are definitely a good example of that. Are there any other examples where um, your company has used data and if so, how or where are you planning to, to use it? I think that litigation is an area that there's a lot of opportunity for one of our clients. Uh, we did work on designing a system. Uh, it was an insurance company and you know, obviously insurance companies deal with the volume of litigation and claims handling is, is much higher than just a you know, a company like Cognizant. Um, and so they were looking for ways to gather data on all of the different cases that they had and uh, you know, which judges they were in front of and which types of claims, you know, claimants were successful on and which types of claims they usually won and which court system led to which results. So they could really, you know, look at the data when a claim came in and decide much earlier on in the process whether it made sense to settle that claim when it first came in or whether it made sense to allow it to continue through litigation. Yeah, yeah, uh, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, the litigation is a little different, right? Um, it's, it's kind of more a traumatic event as opposed to daily good event. <laughs> right. But although for an insurance company, it is a daily event. It's not, it, it's part of the, the actual operations of an insurance provider. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. And I mean, the other thing you mentioned in this answer, in the previous answer, um, about um, sort of the risk, which is what we are trained as lawyers to mitigate, but also the value creation that you can do with data. Uh, in the insurance company, uh, litigation is part of their business, and um, and they're you know they you know definitely have costs, but there's also value created in the process. Same with contracts. Every time you close a deal. Or, or purchase something, you're adding value. Um, yep. and, um, to this day, you know, if you ask anyone in the legal department, any legal leader, um, you know, how can we increase value 10%, um, you'll get a positive look because we, uh, we know how to answer, or risk, how to decrease risk 10%. We know how to talk about any individual contract, but we're not talking about it at scale. Right. Um, across all of them, right? And, and that makes it, um, makes it really a difficult question to answer. Yet, if we can answer that question, we can provide so much more value uh, yes. to the business. That's actually why in an ideal, you know, integrated is the, first, is the first word that I had there, that, you know, we need to be, you know, with the business every step of the way, looking at their data, them looking at our data, so that we can, you know, we're not we're not operating in just like this single contract vacuum. We are steering the entire company in the right direction. Yeah, I really love that idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really special. I, I it's it's I love it a lot. Um, so let's talk about uh, what's needed to support law department of the future. We talked about kind of what's yes. what's possible, but you know at some point there is a gap between now and possible. Um, and, and the gap is what's needed to get us there. Um, what do you need to get your law department uh, into that bright future? Um, I think it starts with attitude. 
Um, so, you know, there's obviously people, processes, and technology, and we need their changes and, and additional tools that we need in each of those areas. But you need to start with the premise of, of wanting to be that ideal law department. You need to think, I want to be, you know, I, I want to think like a business. I want to, you know, be able to delight my customers. I mean, you know, obviously legal is also a gatekeeper. And so it's not about delighting necessarily each person that comes to you for support that you're going to give them the answer that they want because that's not our job in legal, but it's about making the interaction with them easy for them and about giving them transparency into when they're going to get the answer and what form that answer is going to take and how it's going to affect what they're doing. So there's predictability in their lives. Um, so you have to want to get to that point. You have to not, you have to want to not be a black box of you know, the past legal department. Just like business today is insanely fast paced and disruptive and constantly changing, the law department has to, the people in the law department have to start getting comfortable with change. That there is gonna be continuous improvement. You know, everyone should be driving for continuous improvement. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that your processes are gonna change. The way you interact with the businesses are gonna change. The tools that are available for you to use are going to change. And we shouldn't be, as a, as a community, we should find ways to get more comfortable with the idea of change. Yeah, those are critical. Um, but starting with an attitude, because that's a big one. You know, you mentioned delight, you mentioned transparency, you mentioned predictability. Um, you know, those are, you know, great words that are increasingly expected from a legal department. They may or may not have been part of the past of any specific legal department. Um, so if I were a general counsel and, um, what would you recommend me do? How do I change people? <laughs> uh, well, I think it actually starts with, um, to some degree hiring the right people. You know, there's a lot of noise out there right now about whether we call people who are not lawyers, non-lawyers or use other appropriate professional titles. And there's a, there's a little bit of a myopia. Or, or a prejudice, I think, in, in some of the historic legal community that the lawyers are the only valuable resources in a legal department. And I don't think in the future legal department that that can be the case. I think you need to have project managers, you need to have data analysts, you need to have technologists as, that are part of the DNA of your department. And then you also need to have, you know, the diversity that that is so important and that finally people are waking up and saying, oh, yeah, we need people of color. We need <laughs> women. We, we need a balance. So we're getting multiple voices because when you have, you know, all those voices that are contributing from different points of view, you're going to end up in a, in a better place. And of course, it's not just having having, you know the people who fit those definitions, but it's making sure that everyone in the department has a voice. It's not, it can't be, you know, a hierarchical, I'm the boss, I tell you how it's going to be, but you want to be encouraging every person in your department. You want to make them feel that their observations and their suggestions are going to be treated seriously. Even you might not do everything, right? You can't always, you can't do every single project or implement every single idea. But if you make people feel like their suggestions are going to be listened to and considered and you you will open up the doors to to i think great advances yeah it pleases me to see um departments actually hire data people hire it folks uh hire um various other professionals 
Um, and uh, I've heard different predictions of how law firms and legal departments will change in terms of uh, how um, it will increase the percentage of, of other professionals um, in the legal department and, and law firms. So what do you think? Uh, where are we going? Like for a company like yours, um, where do you think, uh, what percentage do you think um, other professionals should be in the legal department? Uh, so I think we're a long way from that type of journey. Um, I think that for a company like Cognizant, you probably want to have um, at least 30% of your department not be senior attorneys. You know, maybe it's some, you know, a mix, some paralegals and support people, not all, obviously, technologists, data analysts, and project managers. But I think that you really need, you know, for, for each you know, large practice area, you need a dedicated project manager. And then for some of the smaller ones, maybe you could have, you know, one person that kind of covers all of them. But if you really want to create change, then you need to, you need to allow the attorneys to do the legal work. Um, and those, you know, you want their suggestions. So you want to encourage them to be thinking about change and thinking about operations and process. But you, but they can't. You can't have your attorneys be responsible for the implementation of that change. You need to have someone who, who has the time, to make that what they're doing all the time instead of you know the little pockets of time that you can find as an attorney. Yeah, I ask this question a lot of uh, legal operators um, and enlightened um, legal leaders who, who operationalize their practices. The number I get somewhere between twenty and sixty percent. Um, you know, 30 is about probably an average 30, 40 percent. Um, and, and a lot of it is project management, financial kind of capabilities, data capabilities, technology capabilities that, you know, it's, you know, you really and, and, and it's kind of funny that we find it so revolutionary to say, let lawyers be lawyers. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy idea? Let lawyers be lawyers. It, it only makes sense, especially because law schools traditionally, you know, um, teach this idea of specialization, right? The classic example uh, you usually hear in law school is that you may be better at uh, doing sort of various routine jobs, including proofreading and doing the brief, but you should really outsource the brief proofreading to your executive assistant or your paralegal because uh, that's uh, a classic sort of competitive advantage and you know, you do the brief, they do the proofreading. That's how you trade and optimize the outcome of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, let, let's be frank. Lawyers are expensive resources. You don't want them doing work that, that other people can do less expensively and more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, would love to see that also apply outside of proofreading to project management, data, technology, financials, all of it. Um, let's talk about, you know, if... I were to, you know, I've decided to modernize my legal department. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Uh, where do I begin? Uh, well, I think, you know, you, you starting with the right place, which is I want to make change, right? That's the attitude. Um, I think you want to give uh, some, you want to spend some time doing training. You want to, you know, encourage, you know, you know a lot of law firms will do, and third-party consultants will do lean for legal trainings. So I would definitely encourage you to, to consider that. I would have, you know, 
the people who are doing the work are the ones that are best positioned to identify ways that work can be done better. And so I think it's worthwhile to go to everyone that works with you and say, you know, we're going to have a, you know, a contest. Everyone submit your ideas, work in teams, work in cross functional teams. Um, and, and then, you know, you can just, any, you know, when things come in, things that take no effort, low hanging fruit, you just do. And then the, the things that are harder, you, you, you know, prioritize them, you calculate ROIs and you, you choose one or you choose two, depending on what bandwidth and resources are you have available and, and work on it. But I think as you do that, it's really, really important that you also go to your internal clients and you say, what do you like about working with us? What don't you like about working with us? And have them be collaborators in the process so that you deliver a product in the end or a service in the end that really um, satisfies not what just you know, within your team see as the need, but as something that the whole company as a whole will, will see the value and benefit from. Cross-functional connections outside of legal, I think, are really, really important to, to getting to that ideal state. Really having a sense who your client is and what they want and what makes their day and what really doesn't make their day, I think is absolutely critical because, as you said, we are in business of, of providing services. Um, but almost coming to the end, uh, I want to explore maybe a couple of ideas. One of them is you talked about the traditional legal department being very hierarchical. What do you think the legal department of the future would look like? Will you think this triangle um, is something that will continue or this sort of hierarchical, um, you know, something that businesses have embraced more readily in the past? Or do you think that will change kind of in the same way as, uh, you know, business world is changing? Um, I think it has to change. I think there's still a pyramid, but it looks different. It's not a pyramid of people. It's a pyramid of approaches. So you want to stratify your legal work. Anything that can be automated, that can be turned into self-help resources, um, or that can be pushed to, to junior or non-lawyer resources should be, should be dealt with so that that work can be done efficiently, consistently, um, and doesn't take the you know, you, you want to move, you know, I've heard this a number of times, but I think it's true that you want to move your senior lawyers up the value chain. And to move those senior lawyers up the value chain, you need to empower them. So the people who are, who are providing subjective, you know, legal opinions, so to speak, um, they need to be, you know, they, they need a couple of things. One, I think that every attorney in the future is going to be a privacy attorney, a technology attorney, as well as whatever practice area they're in. I don't think you can escape that. I think data and privacy are ubiquitous in every part of every business today. And every business is reliant on digital technologies and you have to understand those areas. But then you want those attorneys that are servicing the business lines to be able to, you know, make decisions and, and make decisions quickly. So they need to be integrated into the business. They need to be embedded, meeting with the business, knowing what the business issues are, as if, as if every one of them, anyone who supports a business area or business function kind of needs to be a mini GC for that business area. And so you need to free up their time so they're not doing the noise where they're not adding value. And then they need to be empowered where they can provide value to really provide value without having to raise it up to the chain every time. I love that vision. Um, that's a beautiful vision. You had another part in your vision, um, you know, of uh, legal department, and that is uh, greater collaboration yes. um, and kind of uh, democracy of ideas 
and implementation. Um, tell me, tell me, tell me more about that, and then maybe how we get there. Um, so, I mean, I think you know it, it goes a little bit into that the agile model that everyone is, I think, everywhere in the world is adopting. <laughs> um, of of you know, in order to make decisions well, you have to see the bigger picture. You can't do things in a vacuum. If I go to a business person and I say, this is the way we're doing things from now on, they're going to be like, mm, nah. <laughs> you know, you have to explain. They have to understand and see the same vision that you see of why it's important to do it and how it's going to benefit them and how it's going to benefit the company. And if you silo yourself, you're going to lose out on a lot of benefits that can come. So like going back to that data loop that we talked about with contracting, if you're not collaborative, if you're not working with your delivery teams, with the operations individuals, with, with finance, with security, as you go through that process with sales, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to effectively implement that kind of loop. Yeah, I mean, contract is like where the whole organization comes together, you know, because contract is often tied directly to revenue, especially on the sales side, and everybody cares about it. I mean, that's, that's only the blood of the business, so it only makes sense. So everybody will have an opinion from security to sales to customer success to product to legal. So it's really a true place where, you know, you need to be able to collaborate effectively, efficiently, real time, and, and really get the job done so you can have the revenue flow through your business, which is critical. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it also comes down to what we were talking about before with the lawyer-non-lawyer -lawyer dichotomy, that there's, that you need to, as, as a lawyer, make sure that you are, just like your expertise might be respected by the people you're working with, you need to make sure that you are respecting their expertise and showing that you see the value in what they're bringing to the table, because it will make them want to partner with you. Yes to that. Yes, I completely agree. Um, because, um, you know, we are professionals, but they are professionals too. Yes. Um, you know, they may or may not have gone to school or had many years of experience. Uh, but, um, you know, they, their skill, their craft uh, took a while to perfect, just like ours. Exactly. Um, and deferring to their expertise and learning from them and having this productive dialogue and collaborating. Uh, if you can do it well, um, I, I've definitely seen kind of where one plus one leads to more than two, where the yes. two professionals really highly respect each other and, and just, you know, create something beautiful in the process through collaboration. Lori, this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I've learned so much from you and I, I really enjoyed you sharing your journey. Uh, from, from an IP lawyer to, to transactional lawyer to somebody who has become very interested in the business and wants to operationalize and help everybody else succeed. Um, and in the process, you found your passion and created your job. Thank you for sharing your insights. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for talking with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I love what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you.